Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio, show number 286, how the drive to achieve, uh, sorry, how the drive to achieve leads to organizations zombifying their people. So we're going to be talking about exactly that today, how the drive to achieve in organizations is zombie. I can't even say the word, zombifying their people. <laughs> so I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working with the Engage for Success core team. And the Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there's a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom to join our newsletter list, and our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Maria Pavia, uh, B.Ed. Honours Principal Practitioner, M.A.B.P., and Occupational Practitioner, Psychologist. So welcome, Maria. Thanks for joining me. And um, people might be wondering why I keep slipping over my words. You almost didn't get here on time, did you? <laughs> we had some technical problems. <laughs> so I'm uh, uh, slightly flustered, but it all will be well now, won't it? <laughs> oh, I'm saying that, and now I can't hear you. Wait, in a way. Oh, I can hear you now. Oh, you can you hear me? <laughs> oh, no, now. just to add to it. <laughs> just to add to it. So, yeah, I am here, I promise. And, uh, exactly, you are here, so it's brilliant. Lovely. So, let's start again. So, Maria, welcome and uh, tell us a bit about you. Okay, thank you, Joe. Well, um, yes, my name is Maria Pavia and I'm a registered psychologist. So my background was originally um, in studying biology and psychology um, at university. And that's where I kind of came from. So my interest has always been in not just the psychology of it, but actually what's going on in the brain. So it's been natural for me to kind of my career to sort of lead me into um, the neuroscience side of things. And that's really my key kind of um, approach it's looking at things from the science of the brain um so that's what i mm. do and um and what i do a lot of the time is working in the public sector um i work in the corporate sector as well uh, but i do do quite a lot of work in the public sector uh to helping people to understand how to get people to work to their very very best and to be able to perform um at the to the maximum so my my background is really as a positive psychologist uh, which means that we're the kind of guys that, are, rather than thinking what's average, um, we're the guys that are going, okay, so that bit of data is completely out of the data set. It's completely off the charts. What makes that person so much better at whatever it is they're doing than all the rest of us? Let's study that. So that's what we do as positive mm. psychologists. It's study, study the things that are working really well. Um, and that combined with um, knowledge of the brain, has provided such amazing insights into what makes us perform and what makes us perform at our best and also what is driving a culture in organizations and society maybe where we're performing actually really really poorly and i think what's really helpful about this um, as well as it's it's beginning to shine a light on the things that are causing poor performance and they're not necessarily the attitude of the individual 
So we had a, a few things we could have discussed today, and we had a bit of a pre-call and a, a really interesting conversation, so really excited about interviewing you today. And we're talking about, and I'm going to try and say it for the third time, <laughs> employee <laughs> zombification. <laughs> which that's is right. Which is a phrase that, uh, that we use um, that often, so that's probably working no. over it. Um, <laughs> so tell us what you mean by that, and, and then we can talk about how that relates to employee engagement and well-being um, as we as we move forward. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I coined the term um, zombification uh, because I've been studying what happens to people when they're under stress, what happens to their brains. And um, what's interesting, there's been some very interesting research on this, and people like Stephen Paul just has been doing research on, um, on his theory that demonstrates that when we're under a great deal of stress, we don't just become anxious. Actually, there is another mechanism. Um, a lot of people know this as the freeze. So fight, flight, freeze is what often people are talking about. So we're well aware that we tend to go into fight or flight. Um, I personally want to rebrand fight or flight because I think fight or flight gives a, a negative impression. Yes, sometimes it is fight or flight, but sometimes it can actually be really quite a positive state of energizing. So, so so there's that side of it. We might become afraid. We might need to feel like we want to run away or we want to actually become defensive um, or offensive and fight. So we're kind of aware of that. But there is another um, re uh, response that we have. And this is all to do with the, the, um, the neurons that lead down from the brain into the rest of the body and how that affects, what our, how our brain affects the rest of our body. Because we have to come to terms with the fact that our brain doesn't sit in a little vacuum it's actually interacting with the whole of our body all of the time. Um, and the zombification piece is really about how sometimes when we become under very, very um, intense stress or anxiety or intense pressure, we go out of being capable. We go out of feeling like I can do this. Either I can run away and deal with it or I can stand up to it and deal with it. We go beyond that. And that going beyond is that sense of overwhelm that we sometimes feel. I just don't know what to do about this. So we go from, I can do this, even though it's hard and difficult and scary, to I can't. And that's a small change, but it actually is driving a very, very different neural response. It's a very different brain response. Um, and it actually leads to this process that I call zombification. So when you dial that response right up, um, you can end up in the place where people, and this is not their fault, so be really clear about this, people without it being their fault at all, due to the ecology, I call it the ecology, it's the environment we're working in, we're, we're animals basically, and so even when we're living in the world of work, it's still an, an ecology. may not be where the badgers play in the sunshine, but it's still an ecology, <laughs> an ecology of work. And what happens is, when if that ecology is driving us, into a state where we're feeling more than just energized and capable. It can actually push and dial up this, um, this response, which means that we start going out of capability. And that's a real brain state. It's not a psychological state. It's not a fluffy thing. It's not attitudinal. It's not somebody choosing to just give up. This is the brain actually is turning up the dial on freeze and actually turning off certain capacity and certain capability that we have in our brain, literally shutting down part of our brain. And that is the process that so I call zombification. 
So this is the point where I say that because we had some technical issues at the beginning of the show, clearly mm. my brain was shutting down a bit, which is why, A, I couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> and B, yep. I got the title slightly wrong as well, clearly. <laughs> I, was, I was going into that, um, you know, natural um, state where it was all going horribly wrong in my head. I, I mean, I'm being flippant, but I guess that is sort of what was going on, wasn't it? Well, do you know, you say flippant, but actually that's exactly what was going on. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was for you. You know, I'm sure it was entirely my fault and not yours, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was but, technology. Well, it, 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 I pressed the button and it didn't work either. <laughs> so, but no, it, it, in all seriousness, no, you're absolutely right. Certain things happen and when we are under a great deal of, of pressure or stress. Um, to start with, mm-hmm. we start seeing... Um, seeing more clearly so the more more light goes into our eyes because our, our pupils dilate and and we hear better and and uh, certain things like our liver reduce, um, releases glucose so we've got more energy and all of that that's great but um certain other things start to happen if that goes too far like i say it goes into that what we feel is like a sense of overwhelm and when that happens mm. there are certain capabilities that we know from the, the research and the science we are not able to draw upon. So one of them is, and most of us can relate to this because we go, oh gosh, yes, that makes sense. Um, our decision-making, our ca- the capability for decision-making drops right away. So our ability to make good quality decisions just kind of float, flies away. And <clears throat> excuse me, most of us, I think, recognize that when we're, when we're under stress, we probably don't make the best quality decisions. I think that's mm. quite, most people say it's a bit of a given, really. <clears throat> but then we've also got problem solving. When we're in this state, our problem solving capability just closes down. And again, a lot of us would say, yeah, if I'm under stress, I, I'm not very good at pro- solving problems. Likewise, our ability to be creative. Um, you know, if you say to somebody, right, be creative, be creative now, come on, get on with it. You know, they're very <laughs> unlikely to be capable of creativity. Exactly the same thing. You know, the brain closes down, the more stress there is, the less creative the brain gets. So those are mm. things which, which kind of make sense. One of the things which most of us will not um, admit to, because we rarely do, um, and that's that when we get into that state where we're dialing up this kind of freeze state, it also closes down our ability to cooperate with other people. Now, most of us will say, I'm always cooperative. What are you talking about? But, um, but the truth <laughs> is, it actually prevents us from being able to do that. And cooperating with other people isn't just a convenience. It's actually part of our overall state of health. And it's what enables an organization to be truly effective. Because to be truly effective, you need people to be basically in a state of what we would call social engagement. When you're in a state of social engagement, you are feeling safe and you're feeling certain. And that gives you the best capacity for performance, the very best capacity for Mm -hmm. performance. It also is the happiest state. And we know that if you're happy and you're a salesperson, you're going to sell 39% more than an unhappy salesperson. And if you're happy and you're a worker, you're going to perform 30% better than an unhappy worker. And if you're happy and you're a doctor, and this one is significant, you're going to be 19% faster and more accurate in diagnosing. So I want happy doctors. You know, if I'm going to see a doctor, I want it to be a happy doctor. Because it actually is, we're mm. talking about things which are making, you know, potentially their life-saving or otherwise um, issues here, all to, down to how engaged we feel socially, how engaged we are 
with our peers and how happy, mm-hmm. because that is, a, that is a factor that comes into it, how happy that makes us. So how is this happening when, when our employees are being zombified, when they're, they're getting into this, um, this state? What, what's causing it? Well, I think that's a very good question, Joe, because it depends on, obviously, the organisation. But there are certain things that you can kind of um, point the finger at and say, well, maybe this is the cause. I mean, first of all, we all talk about culture a lot. And I think when we talk about culture, we have to start thinking about it in terms of ecology. Because if we think in terms of ecology, we can ask ourselves, is this an ecology that is causing a threat to the people that are living in it? Or is it a rewarding ecology? It's like the difference between being in a barren desert where you're having to fight for resources because you're scared you're not going to have enough or because somebody else has got something that you need. Um, as opposed to being in an oasis where there is plenty for everybody and we're all okay and we're all safe. So the, the ecology or the culture of the organization is really important. What is it driving? If a culture is driving threat, so it's, for example, all about you've got to achieve the targets. Now, I'm not saying targets are wrong, but it's about how do we actually drive targets. And the harder we drive targets the more likely you are to create a threat from them. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You must achieve this. I'm going to start feeling threatened. If I start feeling threatened, it starts to rise up in me, this sense of fight and flight, and that can easily end up with going to overwhelm. This is one of the problems in the NHS, I believe. Um, I believe that in the NHS, it's quite quite a strong command and control culture anyway. And um, I think what's happening very often is targets which aren't necessarily meaningful to people who are delivering on them or attempting to deliver on them um, are being pursued before the most important thing for that individual, which might be patient care, patient safety. That's the most important thing for me, looking after my patients. But actually what has become more important is delivering on this particular target, which is maybe a waiting list or a timing target. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be measuring, not by any means. What I'm saying is how are we actually driving targets and that kind of culture in organizations? Because we are going to get to the counter opposite of what we want. What we need to be doing is having people, as as you well know, who are fully engaged. But engagement goes beyond just a, um, a psychological or a business concept. It actually turns into a, brain, a part of brain science. Engagement is about how we actually relate to the ecology of work. And that can either create great performance and outcomes, or it can create not only poor performance, but illness, reactivity, loss of reputation, and goodness knows what else. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, we talked about when we were preparing for this is the fact that obviously we have managers managing people, but those managers are being managed themselves and there's all sort of layers of management. And Absolutely. so quite often people are, are creating an issue with the people they manage, but part of it is that, that that's been created for them, isn't it? And I guess it does it build up because you have those layers where people are fingering under pressure and then creating more pressure and it just gets worse as it goes down or up the management structure? Well, this is, this is the question that I'm actually asking in my research at the moment. And, and what, I'm, what I'm looking at is the extent to which um, top-level management and the um, behavior of top-level management is affecting the frontline staff. So how that actually 
um, kind of cascades through the organization. And there's a process called co-regulation. And co-regulation, which is quite a new um, concept, it's not being talked about a lot, it should be though, um, co-regulation is a process by which my body chemistry um, is reflecting your body chemistry, your body chemistry reflects mine. And I talk about body chemistry a lot because, again, we're not talking about my mood or my opinion or my attitude. We're talking about a physiological change in me, a, a physiological state. So if I'm walking into work and I'm feeling stressed, then you're probably going to start co-regulating that stress to an extent. And we know that because we've seen the research that we, um, that um, animals and we, as human animals, uh, tend to reflect the body chemistry of other of other people. We start um, kind of syncing with each other in a way. And that process, mm. I'm I'm saying that process is actually cascading through an organisation because the CEO will be co-regulating the board, the board will be co-regulating the executive, the executive will be co-regulating the heads of department, the heads of department, so on, will be co-regulating their teams, their teams. Eventually, that actually cascades right the way through the organization. So we can't assume that just because I'm in the lofty heights of the, um, you know, C-suite office, offices, (laughs) that somehow I can just exist without having any impact on anyone it doesn't matter if i'm in a bad mood it doesn't matter if i'm driven none of these things matter because everybody out there has got to behave in a certain way it might not be like me but that's okay we've got to actually stop thinking like that because that's quite clearly from a physiological point of view not the case so we are a hive mind Mm. Um, we need to think of ourselves as a hive mind because we work as a group even even people that say um, I'm I'm a, an introvert, even those people, very important people in our world, um, those people also need to be socially engaged. Maybe not to the same degree and in the same way as some other people, but we all of us need to work together as a hive mind, and that is what an organisation needs to be. It needs to be thinking like that. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question. Yeah, it does. From my, from what I'm seeing, from my perspective and the research I'm I'm doing, yes, senior management teams are very much responsible for driving the culture in terms of how we do things here every day. Um, what they might say is one thing, but it, are they doing what they say? So you know, they might say, "Well, we've got these big values and they're very important, and we've got them on our website or whatever." But the question is, well, mm-hmm. are these lived values? Is it actually what you're mm. doing every day? Um, are you demonstrating these values? Because the reality is what you demonstrate is going to have much more of an impact than what you say. And we you know, we know this, don't we? But the science is proving it now. Mm. You, you, talk, you used a phrase which um, sounds like it could almost be positive, but then actually when you think about it, it isn't at all. You talked about extreme management uh, when we were yes. preparing for this. And um, what do you mean by that? Well, extreme management is, a, is another way of looking at um, a type of management that is sometimes called um, white-collar psychopath or white-collar psychopathy. Um, this is yeah. a very particular type of, of, of management, of management style. Um, so we know that there are a percentage of the population um, have psychopathic traits. Um, we also know that 
um, there's more likely to be psychopathic traits are more likely to rise up in an organization for, for various reasons. But regardless of whether the person itself, that the person itself can be um, uh, diagnosed, it's not actually a diagnosis, but, um, but they can be sort of identified as um, a psychopath. Regardless of that, there are certain management behaviors which, um, which we put under the category of extreme management. And extreme management leads to um, all the things you don't want that we've just described. It leads to zombification. So the effect on the followers is that it actually creates a sense of um, overwhelm, uh, frustration, anger, and th that can lead to depression and sense of like being a unable to actually function properly. And extreme management can be anything from micromanaging people because micromanaging is actually really bullying behavior so we have to start thinking about whether it's achieving what we really want it to achieve um so it could be anything like that but it's also um the sort of behavior where a manager may not give credit to other people um may take ideas from other people and um and uh, joyfully take those and then use them as their own ideas um, extreme management tends to have very low emotional connection. So it's shallow emotionally um, and grandiose in thinking. So um, I think myself a great person. I think myself a great manager. I have very, very shallow responses um, emotionally. And I'm very unlikely to um, empathize with you in that I'm very unlikely to feel your pain, to feel what you're feeling. Um, that is something that can be switched off. Um, but also um, it can be something that people just don't have very much capacity for. So that's what we are kind of thinking about and we're, um, when we're talking about extreme managers. And, and as you say, you know, it, it could almost sound positive, but, but it's really about a driving form of management. And we know that driving form of management drives threat rather than reward. And if it drives threat, then it's actually closing down the brains of the people around which actually can be very useful. It can be very useful if you're a psychopathic manager because you then end up being able to say, look how useless my team are. Um, you've actually made them useless um, uh, because you've created an environment in which their brains can't function properly. So, you know, as, a, as an extreme manager, it's quite a useful way of, of getting, giving yourself a leg up. I'm not, I'm, look, mm. I'm great. I know what we should be doing. They're not doing it. They're failing. So, and the same mm. can happen with peers. So, yeah, and it's a, it is a serious issue because a lot of cultures um, are taking the view that we have to work towards threat, which is actually also a bit of a function of the austerity thinking that we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, question which might be um, a step too far. <laughs> I'm just thinking here. So, we've got potentially Go psychopathic it. extreme managers at the top level, um, and they are potentially causing zombification amongst the sort of yeah. middle managers. Does that then mean that they're doing the same to their subordinates, but not coming from mm. a sort of psychopathic perspective, but just from a fact that they're they're frozen and they're trying to just achieve those results for that, that sort of senior management team and they don't have a better way of doing it because they've been zombified? So, well, there are two things that might happen. If you become zombified yourself... Um, at a middle management level, then you'll probably start failing um, anyway. So mm -hmm. then that brings into question your capability, which is 
actually not what should be brought into question. So that's one thing. The other thing is that what might happen is that you start that adopting the characteristics that succeed. So remember, values are what values, real values in organizations, are not what we put on the website. It's what do we do here every day? What makes a difference here? And if the values say, if you drive people really hard and they then achieve the target, regardless of whether that target is meaningful or not, um, then you get rewarded for that behavior. So tyranny is rewarded. So with middle management, you can end up with two, with two, well, many different possibilities, but sort of two broad possibilities, which is on the one hand, I might actually just start becoming zombified myself, um, and that will mean I will look very inwardly at myself and start thinking, what's going on for me? And I will lose my um, context, work context, uh, which means that I'm also going to fail from that point of view as well. Or alternatively, what might happen is you choose to take a tyrannical approach because that is the way that you can succeed. So then tyranny becomes the usual way of behaving in the organization. That becomes the modus operandi for the organization. If you want to be successful here, you have to use tyranny to get there. And mm. I think a lot of people mm. probably can recognize that kind of thinking because you see people becoming sometimes in certain cultures becoming really very much more tyrannical and, and um, not actually very objective, in fact, but they think they are, um, mm. but not objectively thinking, how am I going to achieve more, but more thinking, well, subjectively, I'm going to use behaviors that have been used on me, pass the buck, send it down the system, cascade it down. Mm. That's how you, and actually by doing that, you join that club, you're a part of that club, and for a period of time, you're going to succeed until actually you're no longer needed. And then you'll probably yeah. be scapegoated. Yeah. Well, that's what tends to happen from my experience anyway, from uh, working with various yeah. organizations. Mm. Yeah. So we're just going into the last few few minutes of the, the show. What what can people, what can managers do to minimize or eliminate this, this zombification for themselves or for, for their team? Well, the first thing is to bear in mind, the very, most, very first most important thing is to bear in mind that this is not your fault and it is not your team's fault. This is what is going on in your brain. And I think it's actually quite a liberating thing to be told. It's not you. You're not a troublemaker. You're not difficult. You're not incapable. You're not incompetent. And I've heard people say to me before, I feel I've lost my competence. Well, you just can't access it right now. So what I would say the first thing to do is, first of all, don't be hard on yourself. This is your brain. And what it's doing is not a bad thing. It's a survival mechanism. It's doing a shutdown to protect you. It just might not be the ideal thing for you to do at work, but that's why it's doing it. So your brain is showing a form of competence. So recognizing that is the first most important thing. The second thing to do is to remember that it's not so important to change your attitude. It's much more important to change your behavior and your state. So you can change your state easier than you can change your attitude. So let's not try thinking our way through this. Let's try acting our way through this. And the things that you can do are to take measures which are going to be more helpful to yourself, more sustaining to yourself. So get out at lunchtime and have a walk and build some of your serotonin. Get in the sunshine if you can. Um, talk to people. Sit down opposite somebody, have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, look at each other and talk about your issues. 
When you do that, you build up your oxytocin levels. That really does help to reduce your stress levels. And also, if you've been seeing it on the TV, um, you can do a bit of power posing. Power posing helps you to feel like you're back in your power again. And it has an effect on your brain, which um, is a very powerful effect on your brain, which helps to reduce your levels of stress and also increase your, your sense of feeling a little bit more powerful and in control. So there are some things that you can actually do. But underneath it, behind it all, what we need is organizations to start recognizing that the best way to perform is to start thinking about what the culture really means and whether the culture is truly rewarding or whether it is wittingly or unwittingly uh, wittingly driving threat. Mm-hmm. Lovely, that, that's brilliant. You've, you've given some really practical ideas for people to take away, um, which is really helpful, Maria. Thank you. And uh, but as you say, the, the sort of overriding, I guess it comes down to, to one of our four neighbours, which is around organisational integrity. You know, does, does what you say on the wall or on the website, as you say, those values, is that how you're behaving within the organisation? And if not, then, you know, what can you do to, to change that? Um, so really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, found it really interesting. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm very delighted to be here. And thank you for talking to me. <laughs> Excellent. And so just to let you know, next week we've got Jo Moffat back and she's talking to Justin Robbins, uh, who is the um, leader of our uh, comms tag. And they're going to have an update about what the comms thought and action group are up to. So we'll catch you next week. Engage for Success Radio. Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.